happier we speak. Let us travel with activism around the world virtually. On this journey, we can learn more about organizing activism and a social justice during COVID-19 global pandemic. But this week, we are heading toward St. Paul, Minnesota. Today's hostel are Corinne, Yenim, Ahmina. Also, please welcome our special guest, Christina from Students United. Thank you so much for coming to talk to us about Students United and their activism, Christina. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, hi, Christina. It's so great to have you here. Yeah, I'm really excited to learn more about your organization. So let's get our conversation begin. Please introduce your organization and briefly explain the strategies Students United use. So I work for Students United. We are an independent 501c nonprofit that mainly focuses on advocacy work within higher education. So we are based in Minnesota and we serve students statewide. We represent all of the students within the Minnesota State University systems and we do advocacy work alongside each one of those students. Our advocacy work is based on a local level, so anywhere that there are intersections with the community in higher education and the group of students we serve, that's a place where our advocacy comes into play. We also do advocacy work at the Minnesota State System level, so the folks who make decisions um, that filter down to each one of the campuses, we do state-level advocacy and federal advocacy. So wherever there are policies uh, around higher education that would impact students within the Minnesota state system, that's where we're working. Students United is a student-led organization. So that shows up in lots of different ways. One of the main ways we talk about that is that our board is all student-led. Each university has a student senate. President of their senate is automatically elected into our board. So our board is made up of those seven presidents, or the president can also choose to delegate that to another person if they choose, but most of the time the student body president will serve on the board, and then three officers that are elected by the board. So that's one way that our advocacy is student-led. We also hold conferences a few times a year where we really work to gather student input around the issues that are showing up for them. And that's another way that we, when as staff, we're trying to make decisions. We really want to make sure whether it's the budget, whether it's the advocacy agendas we're setting on the state and federal level that we're leading with students first, with student voices and students' issues in mind. So before the global pandemic, what were the goals of Student United as an advocacy group? And did the goals change because of the pandemic? And if so, how did they change? Um, so every year, Students United sets both a federal agenda around the advocacy policy issues we wanna tackle, and then we set a state agenda. And there are often some pretty set themes that we continue to see in this work. In the state of Minnesota, affordability is huge when it comes to higher education. The cost of earning a degree is too high, even though we have said in society, this is a way for people to become upwardly mobile. That's really not true when we are saddling the future leaders in our, in our country, in our community with such large amounts of student loan debt. So we work to tackle that affordability through expanding 
funding Pell Grant, um, making sure that we're having conversations both with people, the lawmakers that are responsible for helping to pay for the cost of these men's state schools that's written into policy, but is really never followed through on. Having some of those conversations to really make sure that these issues are showing up for them so they are thinking about students when they're doing their policy making and decision making. Before the pandemic, our federal like legislative agenda was focused on the Higher Education Act reauthorization. We wanted to make sure that college students had their basic needs met in more robust ways, that course materials were affordable, um, that there was student loan relief for borrowers, and that states were getting the, the funds that they needed to really support higher education. On a state level, Affordability comes up quite often, basic needs, mental health, all of that stuff gets rolled into the policy work that we're doing. When the pandemic really hit, our office physically closed and students were really figuring out what they, they were trying to do. And we normally run issues through our platform. And we have this platform where um, the way it works that anytime students have come together and collectively said, this is an issue for us, we want you to think about it. And we held an emergency board meeting. Students United is not not going to work on an issue unless it's encapsulated in that platform or we've gotten direct and specific direction from students engaged with their work that this is something that they want. And because COVID-19 and this global pandemic was so new, we didn't have collective direction around what should be done, but the needs, the immediate needs of students were wildly different. And so we as a staff got together and said, okay, these are some of the things we think are going to come up. This is what's going to show up where the board could get together and say, okay, this is really what we're hearing from the students we're working with, the students that we lead, and this is what we need. Instead of having our regular platform, we adopted, adopted a COVID-19 emergency pandemic platform. And so that's really the scope and the focus of where we are still functioning from even a year later. So you shared your goals and how they changed during the pandemic. Could you give us like one example of the activism that Students um, United is doing during global pandemic? And if you think about the start of the pandemic, how did you, the Students United, react? Because I feel like it was a shock to all of us when everything shut down. So what was your first reactions inside the Students United? So literally when the pandemic hit, our advocacy team, our executive director, they were all coming back from Washington, D.C. So every year we take a group of students to Washington, D.C. to meet with their elected representatives and advocate on behalf of anything that's in our federal agenda um, and representation work of they speak on behalf of the other students. So that team literally was getting off the plane days before everything stopped. All of the students in some form get to show up and that has been a shift for us. We aren't doing physical in-person advocacy work. We just got done as a team doing our one-on-one -on -one meetings with elected representatives within the districts where the schools are. All of that happened online this year, both on the state side and the federal side. 
you know, like lawmaking, policymaking didn't stop because this pandemic disrupted how we have to live. Those decisions about how we care about our community are still very much there. When we have institutions that are sometimes thinking about students and sometimes thinking about money and sometimes thinking about diversity and equity, there was still a lot of accountability that needed to happen at the system level. You know, we, we transitioned online when the pandemic started. We had this new platform to be working with, and it was really spending time with students who were deeply engaged to say, what else is happening? What do you really need? Like, are you safe? Are you okay? Do you have internet at home? Where do we really need to be pushing? On my end of things, as the person who does development work, we were running a peer-to-peer -peer cohort where folks were, we were getting people together in person and we were asking them to fundraise their networks to support Students United. We made the decision to shut that down, to hit pause, to hit stop, because last March, I straight up thought that this was going to be here for two weeks. I was like, we'll just stay home for two weeks and then like, we'll see what happens. But as I was talking with our executive director, my boss, it was really like, there are nonprofits that may be shutting down completely. There may be businesses that are shutting down completely. We really don't know the financial impact of what this pandemic is bringing with us. And that was one of those things as an organization, I think shows the way we wanna lead. We wanna lead as players within our community. And so that means we aren't always gonna take all the resources that are available to us. The other thing that happened during this pandemic too, that I think really shifted for us as an organization was, you know, the spring happened, we're trying to figure out how to work at home, what, just what life feels like and looks like. It's a very heightened space of anxiety. And then George Floyd was murdered. We are an organization that George Floyd's murder was still a reckoning for us in our organization and in working with our students and in working with the system office and in our internal work and reckoning how do we seek justice, seek representation for our students and advocate for the things that they really need. That's not just the continued about face that often students get from leaders, from their campus, from the system office. That was another time where we organizationally shifted and, and said, okay, we are gonna put up resources for students, for our collective community on our website. And everyone who comes to our website, the first thing that they're gonna see is that Black Lives Matter and we need to start acting as such. So if you wanna interact with us, you have to know that, that these are the voices we center, we uplift, and that we are working for. This is an organization where students we have worked with have generally been BIPOC students. They have generally been international students and we are in service to them as we, we do our work. So that was a big shift. And the way that our advocacy changed around that too was we became, 
I would say a lot more direct with the Minnesota state system and their handling of diversity, equity, and inclusion. There's a letter on our website that we published that really said, enough with your town halls, enough with your focus groups, enough with your forums. If you don't understand the ways in which you are perpetrating systemic racism and harming your students, it's like, why haven't you gotten it yet? When so many other people around you are working on this, like the longer you drag your feet with these groups, the more harm you're doing to the students where they on this BIPOC community that's already hurting and, and has enough harm to deal with. I really like the way that you mentioned COVID or pandemic, racism and challenges like this didn't change the way that you care about the students and the way that you seek justice for them. And I think that we all should really appreciate all of these efforts that you're putting for a student's life and the student's situation, even with all these huge, big barriers and challenges that we are facing. What is something from the activism during COVID-19 that you want to continue it even after we get back to the normal life? Yeah, so we've recently been talking about this as a team and with our board members and really saying... Okay, yeah, there are pieces of this year where accessibility has changed for people, has changed for our students, where to engage with our work, you or to engage with our work, you don't necessarily like need to be in the Twin Cities and or we as staff or like board officers don't necessarily need to come to your campuses to do the work. So one thing that shifted this year that we are thinking about keeping is having our what we call the committees of the board. So students who are offering direct feedback and advice and input to board decisions, those committees would normally happen in person at our conferences. And what we've decided to do is have those committees of the board stay virtual so that more students can engage and say like, you have other weekend commitments, but you can still engage at this committee. You don't need to be in the Twin Cities to do that work. So that's one of the ways that our work has changed. The other thing about advocacy work is there are moments in movements where things really get sped up and people collectively are ready or people collectively have time to like pause or something so horrific happens they join or they're at a point in their liberation where they finally can connect to it and I think this pandemic has shown how deeply connected the inequalities in our systems are and as an organization I think we've really had to say we need to pause and what our ED always says now is like, this is a marathon, it's not a sprint. So we, we need to take this collective year, take a breath and reassess how we're really doing our work. Higher education has been too expensive since the 70s. So what, how are we gonna rethink this? How are we gonna retool this work so that we see a different impact too? And I, I think that's the quieter change that's been happening too, is we really tried to rethink 
and and pace out what we're doing. Uh, I like the way that you mentioned about online aspect of activism during COVID-19, because I remember that our previous uh, interview with Marjan Alipur from Afghanistan, she was also mentioning the same point. Online aspect brought us more closer. For example, she could attend a lot of advocacy meetings all around the world while she wasn't able to do it before COVID because they were not online or virtually. So yeah, I think that online aspect of activism during COVID-19 is a kind of opportunity that even like empowered us in a way that we not only didn't stop our activism, but in a way it helped us to just grow more and be in a strong coordination. Like, yeah, that's another example that Students United normally hosts an in-conference, in-person advocacy conference in the spring. This year, our advocacy conference was online. That is more accessible for students, you know? Like, we pay for the hotel and we pay for the transportation to get them to the cities. But if you were able to come to one or two sessions from your home, from your couch, from your dorm, that lets more people engage too. And I taking that forward, like that is another piece in another area where, yes, we we are still gonna host these in person because I don't I can only speak for myself, but I am like hungry for for the closeness of, of being connected to people again, as much as the accessibility piece of being online has also increased. Like I want to be able to give people hugs again. So there's there's that piece of it. But when we do our advocacy conference again, what we're going to do is like, we're going to make sure that we're, we're going to like live stream it too. That's the word I'm looking for. So both parts of that accessibility are there. Yeah. Oh my God. I just want to add that I'm also a hug person and I miss that a lot. You're completely right. <laughs> I'm so excited that you're going to do the conferences virtually because I was able to attend some sessions of the conference you just did. And that was something I probably wouldn't have done if it was in person, because it would have meant going to the cities for the weekend. And with this, I was able just to attend one in between, like take a little break from classwork and just attend a session. So I really am excited to see that in the future. Good, good. You're, you're exactly the human we're talking about that we want to connect with. So, <laughs> Yeah, I felt the completely the same way doing more things online. And then I'm really excited about that too. Yeah. So I think this is a question directly to you instead of the organization. As an activist, how do you think a global pandemic changed the nature of activism in general? Also, how do you think the nature of activism will continue to change in the future? So I think on a, on a personal level, one of the things that I saw that I have never seen in my 33 years before was this collective pause of being at home, of only having to be in your home for a lot of people. Some people still were going to work. So when George Floyd was murdered, we all got to witness that and see it and people weren't so inundated with the other stuff of life that everyone had an opportunity to pay attention. And I think that's one of the reasons why we saw an outcry so globally, even though this has been happening for four centuries. I think the other thing I've learned about my activism in the last year 
And that is that you have to learn to rest and you have to learn to care for yourself and your liberation is deeply connected to the liberation of everyone around you. And so learning about radical self-love, learning about this is how I want to love myself deeper. This is how I love myself outside of capitalism. This is how I love myself because I am worthy. This is how I, I rest, not because I have been productive, but because I am worthy of rest. People have said that to me. I've listened to podcasts about it, but I'm not good at it. And that has been a big learning curve in my practice of my activism. I think in the place where I'm at, because I have never been so deeply tired in my soul as I have been in the last year. And there were moments when, you know, you're tired and you're depressed because you're at home and you miss your friends. The world is horrible and all these things that we have intellectualized, we have said out loud are happening and you are stuck in your home and you can't do anything about it. And to not feel guilty that you couldn't always do it in the same way that you want to show up. But knowing like, I've got to figure this out so that I can show up. Last year, after George Floyd was murdered, figuring out oh my God, I, I don't want to leave my home. I'm so scared and so anxious about this virus. I hold all of this privilege. I have healthcare. I have, you know, like I'm relatively young, like I may or may not get this sick, but then trying to figure out, do I go to still protest? What does that look like? What does that look like for the people and caring for in my home? And how do you still make that choice? And now coming to this, a year later, the trial starts on Monday. And so I went out to protest. This is like the caveat too, last summer, but that was a hard choice for me to come to. And it, it took, it took me a longer time to get there. So the trial starts on Monday. I'm going to go to the, I'm going to put my body out there with other people on Monday. And that feels a lot easier now. So I guess those two things together, it's I didn't do a great job resting. I don't have an answer for both of those two things, but it's like the muscle to practice. This is a long journey got tested this year. And I think that's been the shift in my activism too. Yeah. I feel like all of us can totally feel what you're saying about like being an activist and how we care about so many people and so many things, but then we actually have to stop and think about ourselves too and that is something that I struggle personally a lot but I do feel like that because last year we were forced to stop and think about ourselves too we definitely have to remember that in the future too and without like this pandemic or like global crisis but like every now and then like check in with ourselves and like just ask like how we are doing it's not about doing it perfectly. It's not about doing it well. It's about doing it. And, and the it is the action. And 
the it is not just reading a book. The education piece has to be there when we are talking about systems of injustice. And if you don't understand how it works, there are pieces of education that we all need. But everyone needs to choose how they're going to act in the world and within the oppressive systems to shift them. And you, you have to find your place like that. I really believe that is like what we are called to do. That was just really beautifully put. And you made some fantastic points about how we do activism. And it's always important to remember that, like, you don't have to do it perfectly. You just have to go out there and, yeah, just be there and use your voice because it, you have it. You might as well use it. Yeah, thank you. So returning back to Students United, how has fundraising changed as a result of the global pandemic? And like, has it affected the funds that you received and the amount of funds? If so, how did you make that adjustment in your budgeting and planning? A little background. So Students United as a nonprofit, we have earned income from students. This is another component of us being student-led is that each student pays 61 cents per credit that goes to Students United. And that helps us do the advocacy work that we were talking about before. And a portion of that goes back to Minnesota State to administer the fees, that kind of stuff. When we're studying our budget, we're looking at enrollment to see how many students are going to be there. And that really helps us have a baseline of where to go and how much, what types of work we can engage in. Enrollment within the Minnesota State systems has been going down for years. And so we expect that it will continue to decrease next year. The other thing that shifted around development and fundraising is, yeah, how do you bring in additional donor dollars when you're not doing the traditional one-on-one -on -one sit down fundraising type of work? So that's work we were growing to engage in through this peer-to-peer -peer cohort model where we took people who were connected to Students United or really interested in higher education, they joined a cohort. And in that cohort, we talked about money, we talked about class, we talked about race, we talked about intersections of higher education, but we're not gonna do that next year because we just really don't know what the world is gonna look like. So we are really looking at what I'm considering to be a really hybrid model of fundraising. So we'll still be doing you know, annual appeals. So like what you would consider a traditional like solicitation letter, folks will get that kind of stuff in their emails who are connected to us. But we are also trying to think more about digital online strategy when it comes to fundraising and engagement that is also connected to our policy work. So we recently lightly teased this new digital online fundraising campaign that we're running that is connected to affordability in higher education. So we are getting ready in May to fully launch Fuck Student Debt. What we're doing is we are going to be raising money to eliminate student loan debt in the state of Minnesota. So it's like any institution that has brought for student loan debt. So we're gonna be asking people to give to this fund. And then a year from now, we want to pull names to eliminate people's debt. That may be connected to our federal advocacy next year. We're really still a planning process. Thinking about how we do donor engagement, that is 
both connected to an ask that says, will you give, but also saying, here's what we're working on. Here are these educational pieces. Here are these other action things we want you to do with us. That really has been a shift in how we do our fundraising too. That's a really small is not the right word, but like it's not large enough view of a. Yeah, I definitely like that idea of how you're one the money is mostly coming from students because it's for students. And then also that you're seeing them as partners instead of like just people that you get money from. I think that's so important. I don't know how much this advice would shift because we're in a pandemic versus because we're not, but I would say learn to trust your gut, like learn to trust your voice. It is probably more spot on and more powerful than you normally give it credit for. I would say find your people. So whether that's people who are doing organizing, doing work that you're interested in or excited about, find them. People are rethinking how they want to connect as we emerge, I think, out of this global pandemic and new groups are sprouting up and groups who have been around for a long time, I think, are, are rethinking things too. So I think the world is rich and ripe to get involved. And yeah, you know, give yourself time to rest, to regroup and rejoin because this work is lifelong and we want everybody in. Yeah, I, I look forward to, to meeting more people too who are in different stages of their activism journey. Because I think that's so helpful to see people who are ahead of you and people who are just coming in. So so we get those reminders on the road as, as we all go together. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I truly feel like that all of us can benefit from those tips, like no matter what we're doing and where we're doing that. Yeah, I really liked uh, you mentioned some great points and tips for all of us and i like the way that you talked about rejoining to the world of activism to the the world of involvement and also some of the ways that we can find our groups and our people that we can work with and find peace with them so i think that it's kind of connecting us to the next question which is we want to uh, know like some of the ways that you're suggesting for students that they are not directly involved with uh, your advocacy, with the Student United's advocacy, what ways you suggest to bring them to the circle of students during this pandemic? Um, So definitely join us at Students United. The easiest way for folks to get involved and connected is to follow us on social media. So we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we are on Facebook, um, and it's Students7 United on all of those platforms or studentsunited.org. We have a monthly update that goes out that you can sign up for that will give folks an idea of this is how you can engage with your community members. This is what's happening event by event. We are getting ready to go into our committees again this spring where we're going to solicit input. There is a form on our website where if you are a student in the Minnesota state system, you have an idea, you have an issue, you have something that you want this organizing body to be thinking about, email us, let us know. We want to hear from you. Like if you want to get involved, if you have questions, 
Like we are here. I work in service of you. If you're a Minnesota State University student, like you fund this work. So let us know what you're thinking about and we'll connect you. We're hoping to have more in-person conferences next year. We want you to come. We want you to flex your activism. Um, and we want to make sure that we find a place for you to fit. So start with the social media, send us an email, come to our conferences. We'll have more of those opportunities that are hybrid next year too, whether it's online or in person where people can get involved as well too. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing this valuable information. And uh, as we are hoping that a big part of our podcast's audience will be the students at MSU. So I think these are very great information for all of us to use. Thank you so much for sharing. Well, thank you so much for having me and for your time. And I'm so excited to see where the podcast goes and where all of you go too as you continue to grow. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. You gave us like so much to go off of. And I've learned so much about Student United. And I'm excited to see the students not only at MSU, but other Minnesota universities to hear this and just be inspired. Yes, I'm so glad that we got to do this interview with you. I really feel like talking about the future and how we can do things differently in the future and what we can learn from all of this, like it really gives us hope. And I feel like that's really important now because we have already been living in this like abnormal situation for a year. Yeah, please stay in touch. And yeah, when we can get together, like we should get together. <laughs> Definitely. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. Don't miss out the next episode of when we interview Laura Schultz. See you soon. Bye.